Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Give your Bibles, turn to 1 Samuel chapter number 14, please. 1 Samuel 14. We've been looking at toxic leadership, studying the life of King Saul. We started this back, I guess, in October or November of last year. This is our sixth message. We've had some interruptions on Sunday nights, missions conference and Thanksgiving and all the Christmas plays and Christmas musicals and Christmas services and all of those things. But last week we looked at, I think it was last Sunday night, right? That's right. It's all downhill from here. We looked at how Saul had this good start, but then when he got lifted up in in the sin of self-will, his leadership and his life began to spiral quickly out of control. When he got lifted up in pride and in self-will, I'm gonna go my way, not God's way. I'm gonna do what I think is right, not what, what I should be doing. When he got lifted up in that way very quickly, it impacted all those around him in his kingdom, under his leadership, his family. And so we're gonna look at, we're gonna continue on. We were in the first 14 verses of chapter 13 last week. We're gonna look at some verses in chapter 14 this week, 1 Samuel 14. How many of you have ever had a job in a retail store? You've worked in a retail store. Let me see your hands. Worked in a, one of my first jobs was Walmart, Milpitas, store number 2119, Milpitas, California. Anybody else? I know Gordon and Jen, they work at Walmart. Anybody else ever work at Walmart? Anybody else ever have a job at Walmart? I'm the only one. I need to ask Gordon and Jen if they still do this. They used to do the chant before every shift. You got together with your group. Give me a W, W. Give me an A, A. You had to do that. You got to the little dash. They called it, give me a squiggly. And everyone that did that, when they said, give me a squiggly, you're supposed to do this. Give me a squiggly. And so they would do that. All right, my wife didn't like that. I just did that right there, but that's all right. Give me a squiggly. And then at the end, 2119, Milpitas, California, one of my first jobs, retail at Walmart. And if you've ever worked retail, you've probably done something that's called inventory. Maybe not just retail. If you work in other areas, you do inventory, right? And you have a list of maybe the supplies. You have a list of the products that are supposed to be on the shelves. And periodically, maybe once a quarter, maybe once a year, maybe a couple of times a year, maybe once a month, you go and you take inventory. You go check and say, with what's supposed to be on the shelves, is that what's actually on the shelves? How's our loss prevention? Are we really selling what we think we're selling? What's, what's happening here? Taking inventory gives you a clear picture of not just what it's supposed to be on paper, but what's the reality of the situation. Tonight, I want to bring you a message entitled, Taking Inventory of Your Leadership. Now, now the truth of the matter is, none of us probably wants to admit the areas in which our leadership is not what it should be. But inventory, if we'll take inventory, and what do you do with inventory? You have a list of what it's supposed to be, and you match up the reality to what it's supposed to be, and it tells you, we've got a problem. Somebody's stealing all of this, or, or all of this food is going spoiled, and it's expired. We're not, we're not rotating the, the, the product uh, quickly enough. It gives you a picture of what you need to fix, what needs to be dealt with. And tonight, I want us to take inventory of our leadership. I'm gonna encourage every one of us to take a step back in our lives and look at two areas to get a clear picture of what's really happening. Number one, I'm gonna encourage you to take inventory of your own leadership. Who has God given you to influence in your life? 
and with what we see in Saul's life, I want you to look and see, are any of those toxic traits or characteristics in my own leadership? So tonight I want you to take inventory and I'm gonna do the same of my leadership. And then secondly, I'm gonna ask you to take inventory of those whose leadership you are under. What impact are they having on your life? Is there something unhealthy in either area, your own leadership or the leadership of those you're under? And if they are, at the end of the service tonight, the end of the message, I'm gonna encourage you to confront it biblically, whether it's in your own life, to admit it, to confront it biblically, to work on getting it right, or if it's in a leader in your own life, to confront it biblically. I want you to see the power of leaders in our lives, both good leadership. We're gonna look a little more at the good leadership side. We're gonna look at the life of Jonathan in our next message in this series. So we won't look a ton at the good side of it tonight, but we will maybe a little bit. We're gonna look also though at the toxic leadership and the power it can have in our lives or when it's in us in the lives of others. To get us back to the story where we're at in 1 Samuel 13, 14, chapter 14 has 52 verses. We're not gonna read through 52 verses. I've done that before. Tonight, the time, we're already a little bit beyond where we normally would be at this point in the service. You can go back and read chapter 14 for yourself. Read the end of chapter 13 for yourself. We'll look at a few verses tonight, but I'm not gonna read through that. I'm gonna give you a synopsis. Where are we at? Last week, we saw the Philistines had begun to set up some encampments around where the children of Israel were. You remember that? And Saul was in one spot, Jonathan was in another, and Saul was worried, his enemies were surrounding him, and Saul decided, I've gotta take matters into my own hand. Remember, he called a sacrifice, he, and he took that, the self-will, he did those things that he wasn't supposed to, Samuel should have done, because he said, they're gonna come attack me, and I've gotta get this done so we can go fight, and he tried to fight the battle. Well, the Philistines are around him. Well, what we see, the, the, the Philistines are surrounding him. During this, in chapter 14, Saul's, Saul is surrounded with 600 men. They're his soldiers. And his son, Jonathan, and Jonathan's armor bearer, they leave without Saul knowing. They leave the camp and they say, hey, Jonathan says to him, we'll probably look at this in a little more depth in a week or two. But Jonathan says, he says, hey, come with me. Let's go up there and see what we can do. Let's see. He said, let's just see what God wants to do through us. Jonathan was a man of faith and boldness. Let's just see how God wants to work through us. And so these two men went, and the Bible tells us that they ended up winning a great victory. God blessed them mightily. And the armies of the Philistines, they started beating each other up. They started killing each other. And Saul is sitting at camp and his watchmen are looking out and they're like, what's happening? The Philistine army, they're retreating and, and they're fighting and they're yelling and they're running. What's going on? And, and so Saul says, hey guys, get your stuff, get your swords, get your, let's go. And they began to go. And God gives the children of Israel this great victory on this day. They fight a long, hard day. It gives them this great victory. You can read it in chapters 13 and 14, mainly 14. And, and later this week, maybe go back and read it. He gives them this great victory. And, and, and they go through, and, and that, is, that is the synopsis of where we are. Let's pick it up in chapter 14, beginning in verse number 23. And I want you to see the traits of those that Saul led, what his leadership led to in their lives. Verse 23, would you read it aloud with me? 1 Samuel 14, verse 23, ready? Begin. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed over unto beth -Avon. We see here God gives a great victory to Israel. Now notice in verse 24, would you read the first phrase up to the word day, where that colon is, ready? Begin. And the men of Israel were distressed that day. The men of Israel were distressed that day, for Saul had adjured the people, saying, Cursed be the man that eateth any food until evening, that I may be avenged of mine enemies. So none of the people tasted any food. 
Those that Saul led, we see the first characteristic here, were number one, distressed. And I want us to take inventory, those that we lead, does this describe their state? Those that lead us, does that describe us, the impact they're having on our lives? What is that if we are in a state of of being distressed, of, of being overburdened, of being beaten down? It's a sign of, in our own lives, to others, toxic leadership. We see with Saul here in verse 24 that Saul placed unreasonable demands on those he led. What did he tell them? They're out there fighting for their country all day long. And he said, I don't want anybody eating anything. And, and some people suggest different reasons for this. Some say that it may have been, he, he wanted them to fast because Saul was very focused on looking and appearing spiritual that maybe God would be somehow impressed that all my soldiers are fasting. And so he might bless our armies. Others think that maybe it was that he said this so that, that they wouldn't be distracted at all and they wouldn't spend any. But you understand if you're going to ask somebody to fight in, in, in close quarters combat all day long, they're going to need some nutrition. They're going to need some, some strength. They're going to need some food. And Saul placed these unreasonable demands in order to to make him happy, his soldiers had to follow his rules so that they could fulfill his agenda and build his name. Do you see it there? That I may be avenged of mine enemies. I don't care what it does to you. you your, your, your job as me being your leader is all about fulfilling my agenda. It's all about making me happy. It's all about avenging my name. It's not about our common cause. I don't care the burden it places on you. This is about me getting victory for me. And may I say this, as leaders, we need to be careful about placing unreasonable demands on those we lead. Leading them to a place of distress, hunger, as we see here, weakness. It could be spiritually, emotionally, even physically. This can happen in a home with parents where we constantly place more and more unreasonable burdens upon our children. That doesn't mean that we ought not have guidelines. That doesn't mean you shouldn't be a strong parent. I talked about all of that in the Family Talk series. What it does mean is we should take inventory and be honest with ourselves and say, "Is my, the Bible says, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Is my leadership leading to my wife and my children in my home to be distressed? If so, I need to take a step back and consider some things. This can happen in in a church setting where the pastor puts unreasonable demands upon the people. And and in in addition to the battle that they've already enlisted in, as Saul did, we put a bunch of other demands on people. He starved his followers while driving them to results. You've got to accomplish this to make me look good. And he did nothing to care for them. In fact, he told them they couldn't have any food. He didn't care about their growth their needs, their health. All he cared about was his name, his victory, his desires, produce at all costs. No, those under our leadership need to be taken care of. Go out of our way as leaders to meet their needs. Saul was a control freak here, unreasonable, extra biblical demands. God never told them that if you're out fighting, you shouldn't eat. He's placing unreasonable, extra biblical demands on God's people. And when we do that, we will lead those under our leadership to a place of great distress in their lives. So if you find this as you take inventory, what's the answer? What's the answer? I would suggest we ought to lead from a heart of compassion rather than a heart of selfishness and cruelty. A heart of compassion. What is best for those I'm leading? Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. 
I'm willing to lay down my life to meet the needs, to, to help those, to show the love that I have to those that I serve. In your life and in mine, Jonathan, we see, was the opposite. In fact, we'll see it later on here in just a moment in the passage. Jonathan said, that, that doesn't make any sense. You, you guys, hey, we're all serving together. You guys should eat. How much better would we be if your needs were taken care of? And I think we ought to ask ourselves, are we meeting the needs, whether it's, again, spirit, and again, I get God meets them, but as leaders, are we helping to equip and encourage and strengthen and walk through trials and walk through valleys and not just, well, get over that and get back to work. No, let's walk through those things when somebody we love and lead is struggling, walk through those things with them. How can I help meet their needs? What can I do to better equip them? How can I show my gratitude for their service? Are those that are under your leadership distressed at home, at work, our children? Are those who are leading you, leading you to a place of distress? Let's continue reading verse number 25. And all they of the land came to a wood and there was honey upon the ground. Verse 26. And when the people were come to the wood, behold, the honey dropped, but no man put his hand to his mouth for the people. What is that next word, church, in verse 26? For the people, what? Feared the oath. Not only were those under Saul's leadership distressed, they were number two, fearful. They feared the oath. We'll see it, see it again later on in, 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 in our study in the, in the next coming chapters. They were fearful. Leadership by fear is a terrible long-term strategy. Let me throw a little bit of a, I don't know if it's a contrast, but let me throw another statement on top of that. Leadership by fear can be an extremely effective short-term leadership strategy. Leadership by fear is a terrible long-term leadership strategy, or especially if you're looking for healthy leadership. Leadership by fear can be an extremely effective short-term leadership strategy. It can be incredibly effective in the short term. If you're strong enough and you hold enough power over someone, you can get them to do and say almost anything. In a home with a mom or a dad that lead by fear, uh, children who will obey and look good and do whatever they're told for a while, they'll, 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 uh, they'll snap into submission for a while. Why? Because they're scared of what might happen if they don't. And they'll do that for a period of time. They'll, you can lead that way in, in, in a sports team or, or whatever it might be. You can lead in, in a church setting. The, the, the church that is led with an iron-fisted, fear-inducing pastor will often see a group of people that snap into place and accomplish much for a period of time. Even countries can be somewhat effectively, I guess, led in this way. To see an extreme example, look at the dictator tyrant in North Korea. That, that country, that the people do what he says, but it's not a healthy situation. Those people snap into place, why? Because they're scared if they don't, they will literally lose their lives on the spot. But it's not a healthy, uh, pr a productive situation. It's not a country that any of us would desire to be a part of, to be a citizen of, to live in. And when, when those things happen, when, when things, when you're leading by fear, sometimes things can run smoothly but they happen for the wrong reasons and with the wrong heart. And those that follow us, they do it with fear. They do it with anger at times. They do it with bitterness or even spite in their heart. And everything looks good for a while. By the way, they won a great battle that day. Those soldiers were extremely, extremely effective that day, but it wasn't a healthy situation. And again, we'll see it in the coming weeks. 
For a while, things will look good until those who live in fear of our leadership get enough courage to stand up to the tyrants in their lives. What will happen? People in a church will eventually begin to leave. I was watching a documentary on a cult. It's on, on Netflix on a, on a cult. And it was talking about these people and the way that this, this cult destroyed their lives. And they talked about for so long, I lived under this fear, but eventually I got the courage to take my life back. I got the courage to take my family back. And, and, I, and I've lost friends and I've lost sometimes family members be, from this because that cult teaches that if I leave, my, my parents should never have any other contact with me. But eventually people, if they're beaten down long enough, some will stay in that unhealthy situation, but many will eventually say, you know what? I'm not going to stay here any longer. That can happen with children in a situation like that. Eventually they get long enough, old enough. Children will, will rebel. Church members will leave. Coups in a country will be staged. Leaders will be overthrown. Coaches will be fired. Churches will split. Cults will be exposed. And, and again, this isn't to say that leadership can't be strong. This isn't to say that leadership can't be bold. This isn't to say that leadership at times cannot correct. It's not to say that leadership can't have guidelines. It's not to say that leadership can't confront things and deal with them. All of those are parts of healthy leadership. What it is to say is our primary motivator as leaders should not be the fear of repercussions or the fear of consequences or the fear of man. We should not serve the Lord because we're scared of what others will think. We should not serve the Lord because we're scared what Paul say, the love of Christ constraineth us. I understand there is also the motivation of the fact that one day we'll answer to God and there is a judgment day coming. I understand that. But our God, we love him because he what? First loved us. Our God definitely, Jesus, when he was on this earth, was he a strong leader? Absolutely. But he definitely led his disciples from a heart of love, not fear. Get in, step into place or I'll kill you on the spot. Don't you know who I am? We need to be careful about that harshness in our leadership. Again, not to say that, that, that leadership never has an uncomfortable conversation or enacts consequences. It's not to say that leadership is always butterflies and unicorns. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that when negative things need to be dealt with and consequences need to be doled out, they do all of those things out of a heart of true love for those they lead, not a desire for power or revenge. If we correct our children, it should never be done. It's been said with, Jesus, with God, God does not punish us for our sins. There's only one person he ever punished for your sins and it was his son, Jesus Christ. He punished, Jesus Christ took the punishment of our sins. God does not punish us for our sins. He chastens us for our sins. He will chasten that, that believer, that, that child that gets out of, what's the difference? Punishment is retribution. It's really getting even for the past. Chastening discipline is preparing for the future. There may be some uncomfortable consequences as a leader that I have, to, as a pastor at times with a staff member, as a husband and father with our children, as a coach with my basketball players. There may be some times where I have to deal with some uncomfortable things and, and even there's some uncomfortable uh, consequences, but that should come from a heart of not, you made me mad, so I'm gonna make your life miserable. No, you, 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 you broke this guideline. You broke God's heart here. We need to deal with this so that you can be a more godly child of God moving forward. You need to understand the pain of your, your, your actions so that you are purified for your future. We do those things out of a heart of love, not a desire for revenge. 
take inventory. Do our children obey because of fear or love for their parents? That's the difference between behavior modification and heart transformation. Behavior modification, they'll do what we say because we tell them to. I'm the dad and, that, and I've said that before, why? Because I said so. That's not wrong to ever, you don't always have to give a, a 45 minute explanation to your eight year old about why he can't play video games on the iPad today. Because I, I said so, that's why, you're not playing them right now. But all of our leadership shouldn't just be, well, because I, I'm stronger than you. Because guess what? There'll come a day you won't be stronger than them. And it should be a heart of a relationship that my son, Solomon said, my son, give me thine heart and let thine eyes observe my ways. Take inventory. Do you serve the Lord because you love him or you're scared he will strike you with lightning if you don't? What is your view of God? Paul told us the love of Christ constraineth us. Will your employees gladly do what they can for you and for the, the cause at work because they love you or they're just scared you'll fire them if they don't? By the way, when love is the motive in our leadership, it makes life so much better for everyone involved, follower and leader alike. So what's the answer? Leaders must cultivate a true relationship with those they lead, not just a list of rules. Leaders must cultivate a true relationship with those they lead, not just a list of rules. Effective, long-term leadership flows from a heart of love. In sports, I, I read an entire book. It's supposed to be the, the, the final word on basketball. It's got all the, it's this huge book. I read it several years ago. And it says, he, it's, it's a, a writer, he was with ESPN at that time. He said, I'm gonna teach you the secret of basketball. He interviewed, he interviewed every Hall of Famer. He interviewed all the champions. He said, I found out the secret to basketball. You know what the secret to winning a championship, he said, is? It wasn't having the most talented player. It wasn't having the most all-stars. It, it, now, these things can help contribute. He said, the secret, what takes a team to another level, the secret to being the best team you can be, here's the word he used. It's a weird word when we think of professional sports. Here's the word he used, love. When players truly love each other, they play harder for each other. They're willing to go the extra mile. They'll ha they have their teammates back. They're willing to make the extra pass. They work hard on defense, whether they scored that day or not. They, if they didn't get subbed in, they're still cheering on the bench. They're supporting the team. And when a team has that, it takes away all the discord and the fighting and the backbiting. And the coach isn't trying to fight with the players and the player's not trying to fight with the coach and the players aren't fighting each other. When the team is motivated by love for one another and love for their common cause, it takes them to a whole nother level. You watch, I like sports, I was watching the playoffs today and you watch some of the mic'd up. I was watching Phil Rivers, Philip Rivers uh, retired this week and I was watching Philip Rivers, some mic'd up things and it's amazing. These are, these are grown adults, millionaires playing a game for a living and they're out on the field. It's amazing how many times after practice, before a game, at halftime, during a game, while they're thinking about X's and O's, you'll hear them say, I love you, man. Man, I love you. I, I love the way you did. They, I got your back. Hey, I, right before the game, let's give them everything. I, I love you. What are they? That relationship is what takes the team to another level. By the way, in your family, that relationship of love is what's going to take the team to another level. In this church, that relate, it's not just about do we have all the theologians, and I want people, I talked about this morning, to grow in grace and in the knowledge of God, but do we have a bunch of people that know the Bible? Do we have a bunch of people that love God and love each other? And as we grow in that, we will see God use us in great ways. Let's continue on, verse 27. The last thing we see in his, in his followers, verse 27, but Jonathan so they come upon this honey and the people are scared to death to take any of it, even though they're starving to death. But Jonathan heard not when his father charged the people. Remember him and his armor bearer were gone. 
He, he didn't hear when his dad charged the people with the oath. Verse 27, wherefore he put forth the end of the rod that was in his hand and dipped it in a honeycomb and put his hand to his mouth and his eyes were enlightened. It was like, man, his blood sugar was way down. He got a little honey and he got a second wind. It was, whoa, I'm ready to go. Let's go fight some more. In verse number 28, then answered one of the people and said, thy father straightly charged the people with an oath saying, cursed be the man that eateth any food this day. Would you see it at the end of verse 28? And the people were what church? They were what? Then said, Jonathan, my father hath troubled the land. See, I pray you how mine eyes have been enlightened because I tasted a little of this honey. How much more if happily the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies, which they found. God gave us this victory. There's all this food and you guys are starving to death. That makes no sense. Why are we putting unreasonable, unscriptural demands on our followers? For had there not been now a much greater slaughter among the Philistines? And, and in fact, my leadership, he's saying my dad's leadership was actually counterproductive to what he was trying to accomplish. If he would have let you guys eat, we would have killed even more of our enemies. My leadership, my controlling, fear-inducing, distressing leadership actually worked against what I was trying to do. Verse 31, and they smote the Philistines that day from Michmash to Ijalon, and the people were very what? The people were very faint, faint. Not only were his followers distressed and fearful, they were faint, ready to quit or possibly die because of toxic leadership. They were unhealthy, they weren't strong, they were weak, they were not will, going to be able to stay in the fight much longer. Toxic leadership in our lives, and if we're the toxic leader, it beats us down, it wears us out, it discourages us. While we're in the battle, it's like, well, does anybody care? Is there? It, it hurts us, it burdens us, and it can eventually destroy us if we aren't careful. And when we are the toxic leader, we can do the same thing to a spouse, to our children, to a youth group, to a staff, to a Boy Scout troop, to a sports team, to a classroom. We have several of our teachers, and I'm thankful for the heart and spirit of our teachers in our school. You know, this can happen in a, in a classroom setting. The children are distressed. They're fearful. That doesn't mean a teacher can't have guidelines. A teacher, has, we've talked about, has to have discipline. It has to have guidelines. has to have order. God's a God of order. You have to have, but it has to come from a heart of relationship. Not children every day coming to class and they're, they're burdened down and they're weak and they're hurting and they're scared and they're fearful and they're distressed. The same in our homes, the same in our churches. We have, church ought not be something you go to because you have to. Now there are seasons of life where we're struggling and we might not feel like going to church. We're not robots. There are seasons of difficulty spiritually and emotionally, but that ought not be that, that, that you ought to look forward to gathering together with God's people. You ought to look forward to growing together. You ought to look forward to serving, to singing. Man, I can't wait to get there. Not, I wonder how the pastor's going to beat me down tonight. I wonder how this person's going to get looked down on me tonight. I wonder what I, what I did this week that wasn't good enough. I wonder what new unreasonable demand he's going to place on my life. If you, if you're in a situation like that, where it's spiritually toxic, it will lead you to be faint. You'll be weak. You'll, you'll, you'll feel like I, I don't, I can't fight any longer. I can't go on any longer. And, and we see his leadership. It led them to be faint. Look at verse 32. And the, the people, Notice the first five or six words, seven words there. And the people flew upon the spoil and took sheep and oxen and calves and slew them on the ground. And the people did eat them with the blood. Saul's unscriptural leadership led his followers to sinful actions in their own lives. You see, the children of Israel 
they, were, they had certain dietary laws they were supposed to do with the blood of animals when they killed them before they ate them. And, and you go today, what, what he said basically here is, you go to Israel today, you'll see kosher kitchens and they deal. What happened here was the soldiers were so distressed, they were so faint, they said, you know what? I don't care anymore. I'm just gonna go do what feels good. And if we're not careful, that can happen in our homes. That can happen in our churches. And I'm not making an excuse for every person that's ever left God. Well, that must have been a toxic church. Every child that chooses to go off and live their own way. Well, that must have been a toxic family. I'm not, I'm not saying that. Every person has a free will, a sin nature, and they have to decide. You, I'm going to preach on this with Jonathan in a week or two. Your, your, your toxic or lack thereof leadership does not define or determine your decisions. Jonathan grew up in Saul's house and was still an amazing, amazing, amazing follower of God. So be careful. Yeah, well, that's right. It's my, I had a toxic pastor. That's why I am the way that I am. I had a toxic husband. I had a toxic wife, a toxic dad. That's why I am. And that's why I hate God today. And that's why, no, be careful about that. Be care, nobody has a perfect dad, mom, teacher, coach, pastor, boss, nobody. Be careful. But I'm talking about us taking inventory in our own lives. If we, in our lives, our unscriptural leadership can lead our followers to say, forget it, I can never do enough, I'm gonna go just do what feels good. And in trying to control their lives in a way that he never should have, he actually pushed them to commit sins against God. Have you ever seen that in a church or in a family or in a ministry? We see people that grow up in a toxic environment in home or in church, and what do they sometimes do? They run as fast as they can to ungodly lifestyle choices. What do we see here? They flew, the people flew upon the spoil. They ran as quick as they can to an ungodly choice, a dietary choice. Saul's leadership brought out the worst in those he led. And again, this isn't always the case, but sometimes our toxic leadership can help to push people to do things they never would have done. They go off the deep end, so to speak, because we cultivated distress and fear and anger and bitterness and despair, and they were faint. And so they ran to what they thought would meet their need, even though it went against scripture, whether that thing was pleasing to God or not. Why? Sometimes, and I'm not trying to excuse it. Don't, don't be a victim. Don't play the blame game. But if you're a leader, ask yourself, am I having that impact on somebody? Why? They were exhausted sometimes from trying to follow all of our unreasonable demands. They were tired. So what's the answer to faint, those that we lead that are faint? Build a culture where those we lead will be strong and healthy, not weak and hungry. An emotionally secure, spiritually healthy situation and environment in our homes, at work, at church. Leaders, by the way, should not be intimidated by those they lead becoming strong leaders. You're gonna see here, Saul gets really, he gets really jealous and insecure because Jonathan, God used Jonathan to win some victories, his own son. You'd think he'd be happy about his son. But toxic leaders, sometimes it's, they, they get jealous of their own family. David, he's gonna get really jealous because they're gonna sing, Saul has killed his thousands, David is ten thousands. We, ought not, we, we should not be, be, be jealous or intimidated by those that we lead becoming strong leaders. In fact, that should be the goal for us. So let's take inventory. How are those who you lead in your life? Take inventory in your own life. We have the list, the stock sheet. What do the shelves say? Does our leadership, the fruit of our leadership, bear what it should be? Those that we lead, are they distressed? Or are they excited and enthusiastic about the life God's called them to? Those that we lead, are they fearful? 
Or are they full of faith and love for God and love for you as their leader? Are they faint or are they healthy? How are, your, how are you as a leader and how are your leaders? Are they healthy or are they toxic? No perfect leader, but the majority of followers in any arena should not be distressed, fearful, and faint. If you work in a work environment where everyone is always distressed, fearful, and faint, that is a very toxic environment that something should be done. If you go to a church where the vast majority of the members are distressed, fearful, and faint, there's something wrong. If in your home often it is distress, fear, and, and weariness, and faint, there's something wrong there. And so what do we do? What do we do if we identify toxic leadership in our lives, and I'll close it up. What do we do if we identify toxic leadership in our lives or the lives of those who lead us? We don't just keep doing the toxic things. What do we do? I want, I want you to see we should courageously confront it in our own lives and in, in the lives of others. Let's see this as we close. In, in 1 Samuel chapter number 14, word gets to Saul that Jonathan had had some honey. Well, according to what Saul had said, that means he must die. By the way, again, I mentioned it earlier, but toxic leaders sometimes are even willing to sacrifice any relationship, including a relationship with family, in order to keep their power and enforce their unreasonable leadership. They don't care who it hurts. I don't care what it does to my family. It's, it's all about me. Their power and their kingdom and their name and their agenda is the most important. Would you look at verse 38? And we'll, we'll finish it up. I'm gonna have you turn to one other passage. I promise I'll, I'll finish up in about five minutes here. Follow along if you want. I want you to see this. This wraps it all up together. Verse 38. And Saul said, draw ye near hither all the chief of the people, the, the leaders, and know and see wherein this sin has, has been this day. Saul knew that somebody had gone against his command. For as the Lord liveth, which saveth Israel. Notice what he says. Though it be in Jonathan, my son, he shall surely die. I don't care if it's my own son who disobeyed me. I, I, I'll kill him. He's gonna die. Why? Because what I say goes. I, what, what, my leadership is most important, not reasonable, not scriptural. He says here, in, but there was not a man among all the people that answered him. Nobody wanted to speak up and say who it was. They respected Jonathan more than they respected him. Verse 40, then said he unto all Israel, nobody would talk, okay, you go on one side, me and Jonathan will be on this side. And the people said unto Saul, do what seemeth good unto thee. Okay, if that's, that's, if that's what makes you happy. Therefore Saul said unto the Lord God of Israel, give a perfect lot. He's gonna, he's gonna throw some dice maybe here and find out and throw, he's gonna kind of gamble to, to get the answers. And Saul and Jonathan were taken, but the people escaped. So the lot fell on Saul and Jonathan's side. Okay, so we know the sin isn't with all the people. It's either me or you, Jonathan. Look at verse number 41. I'm sorry. Yes, yeah, so verse 42. And Saul said, okay, now cast lots between me and Jonathan, my son. And Jonathan was taken. Then Saul said to Jonathan, tell me what thou hast done. And Jonathan told him and said, I did but taste a little honey with the end of the rod that was in mine hand. And lo, I must die. Dad, I, I had no idea you said it. And I did what anybody would do. I was hungry. I'd been fighting all day. God gave us a great victory. I took some honey. I guess I have to die according to what you said. Notice what Saul says. Look at, look at his spirit. And Saul answered, God do so and more also for thou shalt surely die, Jonathan. Again, whose fault is this? Let's find out. He brings God into it even. He says, God do so and more also. This wasn't a God-ordained command. He tries to justify his toxic leadership with spiritual words. In verse 45, 
And the people said unto Saul, shall Jonathan die who hath wrought this great salvation in Israel? God forbid, as the Lord liveth, there shall not one hair of his head fall to the ground, for he hath wrought with God this day. So the people rescued Jonathan that he died not. The people basically stood up and said, said, you, you think, we watched God, God say, we know that Jonathan is walking with God. We know that Jonathan is living for God. We know that Jonathan is hand and you're going to have to deal with all of us if you're going to kill Jonathan. Your toxic leadership, Saul, has gone too far this time. How do you deal with it in your own life or in the life of someone that's leading you? You biblically and courageously and humbly and lovingly confront it. If you see it in your own life, don't, don't justify it. Well, that's just the way I am. I'm a micromanager. My mom treated me that way, so I treat my, mom, my kids that way. My dad did that to me, so I do that to my kids. Well, that's how my coach was. Well, I had a bad boss and I had to put up with it when I was in my 20s and 30s. So now I get to abuse every 20 and 30 year old under my leadership at work. No, no, no. Don't justify and cover it in your own life. If you see it, confront it, apologize for it and begin to lead from love and service and scripture rather than from fear and power and human wisdom. It's not too late. And if you're under toxic leadership, humbly, spiritually, truthfully confront it in your life and make the necessary changes to keep it from adversely affecting the lives of anyone else. Isn't that what they did here? I believe humbly, respectfully, truthfully confronted it. This is not right. We've got to deal with this all before it affects anybody else's life, before it destroys anyone else in your family. And then turn with me one more place. You've listened well. Second Chronicles, I want you to see it. I want you to see a, a contrast. Second Chronicles, just a few books over to your right. Second Chronicles chapter number nine, a contrast of leadership. God is gonna take the kingdom. We saw that last week. God is gonna take the kingdom from, from Saul and he's gonna give it to who, church? He's gonna give it to who? Talk to me. To who? And then who's going to succeed David on the throne? His son who? Solomon. I want you to see Solomon's reign. Solomon, Solomon's reign, chapter 9, verse number 1. And when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon, she decided, she found out, man, I've heard that this guy's kingdom is amazing. She comes, says in verse 2, and Solomon told her all her questions. She asked a bunch of questions. Verse 3, and when the queen of Sheba had seen the wisdom of Solomon and the house that he had built, the way that he led the, the kingdom and the meat of his table and the sitting of his servants, the way the culture of those he led, the attendance of his ministers and their apparel, all the, the attention to detail, his cupbearers also and their apparel, his ascent by which he went up into the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. She was, she was shocked. She was taken aback. And she said to the king, it was a true report. By the way, you take inventory of Solomon's leadership here. What was on the sheet, what he said was, he, he was supposed to be was true. It was the true report which I heard in my own land of thine acts and of thy wisdom. Howbeit I believed not their words until I came and mine eyes had seen it. And behold, the one half of thy greatness was not told me. The half hath not been told for thou exceedest the fame that I heard. Now, would you read verse seven aloud with me? Ready? Begin. Happy are thy men. And happy are these thy servants, which stand continually before thee and hear thy wisdom. That's the goal. Happy are thy servants. You've created a wonderful, loving, beautiful culture here, Solomon. I didn't believe it, but it's amazing. They love serving. They're so excited about doing what God's called them to do. By the way, that's what I want for Liberty Baptist Church. I have a pastor friend that says it this way to his church. If we can't get there by loving Jesus, I don't want to get there any other way. 
I want whatever God calls us to do, it's because we love God and we're excited to serve. And I don't want you to give to the capital campaign because you feel this guilt and manipulation. No, God has blessed me with some resources. I can't wait to see God's work go forward. And I want to give generously because God has given so much to me. And we, we say, hey, we're looking for some new choir members and we need some folks to serve in the children. Well, I better do that. I know that's the requirement of a, of a deacon. Well, I know that's the duty of a staff member. I don't want a serving out of that heart. Oh no, not distressed and faint and fearful, but from love and compassion and joy and excitement. And she said, happy are thy servants. We had a teacher visiting, interviewing to possibly join our staff in the fall. She was here this week and she met with our elementary director, Sandy, and our principal, Kevin, and myself. And we told her how much we loved the ministry and all the good things that God was doing. But it's, it's, we're a little biased. We kind of get paid to say that, right? And so I told her while we sat in that room, I told her after they left and we were chatting, I said, while you're here the next two days, talk to anybody talk to other staff members, and I don't know what they're going to tell you. I haven't told them what to say. Ask them what it's like for them, and talk to students. Talk to teachers, and talk to parents, and you're going to be here on Wednesday night. Talk to church members. Find out if God's leading you here. You're going to live here. You should know what's happening. Talk to them, and, and you know what I appreciate? She talked with many in our ministry, and she came back, and she said, it's, it's, it's obvious that it's not a perfect place, undoubtedly, but the people that are here, they have a great love for the work of God here. Boy, I love what God's doing here. We love Newport Christian and Liberty's the best. And these things people were telling her again, not a perfect place, but I hope and I pray a place where the people truly love God and, and truly serve from hearts of love for God and people. May that always be so in our lives and in our families. I don't want my family, God's blessed us with five children. I don't want them to live for God. By the way, it's not really living for God if they're doing it out of fear of me but I don't want them to externally live for God because they're scared of consequences from me. I don't want them to, I want them to develop and to cultivate a deep desire and heart love for, for God that, that carries them through all the way that they'll raise their children in the nurture and admonition and their children's children. Why? Not, not, they don't serve and they don't go to church because of fear or because, and they're not, hopefully, and there have been times where my leadership has led to this, but hopefully it's not a constant state, but where they're distressed and they're fearful and they're faint. And I know in my 20, almost 21 years as a husband and 18 plus years as a father, there have been times that, that my wife and children have been distressed because of my leadership. And there have been times that, that they have been fearful and they have been faint. But would God help me as he's growing me and I'm learning things like this, that our home, we, we would serve God because we want to and we love him and all that he's done for us, not because we have to. I don't want a pastor here because I have to for you. No, God, I get to serve you and proclaim your name to the church. And I want to ask you in your life and in mine, take inventory. What's the culture of your marriage relationship? If you lead at work, what's the culture of your leadership at work? In your home, what's the culture with your children? If you're a teacher, what's the culture in your classroom? If you, if you help in the nursery, what's the culture during that hour that you're serving? It ought not be one of distress and fear and faint. No, it should be one of faith and joy and love like Solomon. I didn't believe it, but I got here. It's amazing. And happier your servants. They love what they're doing. May that be said when people come to Liberty. I heard there was a church there that loved you, God, but happier your servants. They really love serving you. They're not doing it because they have to. May that be our guiding, guiding principle. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.